Blog Talk Radio. As of the 1st of October 2019, in South Australia, a new law was passed that allows a public servant to enter, remain, inspect, or use reasonable force to break into any premise, place, vehicle or vessel. This public servant can remove items from the premises to be used as evidence in future, and a warrant is not required if there is a suspicion, just a suspicion, that a vulnerable adult is at risk of abuse. Matters will then be directed to a court or tribunal that is not bound by the rules of evidence, can determine matters as it thinks fit, and can reach an outcome, just, on the balance of probabilities, not beyond, reasonable doubt. Victims often, end up a ward of state. The public guardian and public trustee, are often placed, as the ultimate decision maker, and, take over all affairs. These laws, are expected to be rolled out in other states next year. Are you scared yet? Good evening, everyone. We are so excited to be on tonight. That was the beautiful Marty Oakley. For those who do not know, he unexpectedly passed away April 1st of this year. We continue this show in her name and honor of her memory. There are many of us that are carrying the torch. It took a whole bunch of us to fill her shoes. And we are just thrilled that It's now been over four years that my Friday nights have been on TS Radio. I miss her dearly, but as many people have told me, they think she would be proud, and I'm just very honored to still be here every Friday night. I need to mention real quick that this week we have the Whistleblower Summit is is up and going. That is we are one of the they sponsor us and Marcel Reed of the Whistleblower Summit is one of our biggest sponsors and does shows on this network as well and our presentation which is actually Marty's panel and Marty had planned to be doing it and we were in the works of planning and I just want to say a huge thank you to uh, Chris from Australia Tina from Montgomery County Pennsylvania If it weren't for you all, I don't think that we would have pulled this off. It just was amazing. Everyone who has seen the rough draft of it said that Marty would be really proud. And also a special thanks to Charmaine Swords for allowing us to use her beautiful music in a tribute that we had done for Marty. And we hope to have that circling around the Internet starting tomorrow. So it's going to air tomorrow. And we are really proud of the work that we did to represent Marty But you know what? Everyone has been so excited about tonight's show. We are so honored to have Diogenes back here tonight. And we're going to talk about a really crazy subject. And the subject is artificial intelligence. And the reason why this is pertinent to guardianship, because people are probably like, well, you're going off topic, cause. No, I'm not. So anyway, a lot of people are going pro se and they are using artificial intelligence and going to, like, this chat GPT website to write their findings. Well, we're going to find out from an expert in computer science who is actually qualified to talk uh, to us about artificial intelligence, 
And we're also going to have a nice talk about the inner workings of the government and how they could be gaslighting us. And in that respect, I'm thinking like probate, guardianship, where this is related to how you could be being tricked and being made to seem crazy. So without any ado, welcome, Diogenes. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. Yeah, thank you for having me again. Oh, my goodness. So before we talk about uh, artificial intelligence and uh, the use of it, would you mind letting the audience know what your background is so that they understand that I found an expert to come and talk on this topic. So thank you so much for spending your Friday night with me. But would you please just give a little brief history of some of the stuff that you have done in your professional life to back up the fact that you do know what you're talking about? Yeah, so um, I am a uh, I'm a cybersecurity professional. I've been working in the field for just about a decade now. Um, additionally, I have a Bachelor of Science in Theoretical Computer Science from a uh, top 30 research university on the planet. I'm not going to name names because I like to keep my stay a little bit anonymous. But um, one of the classes, probably the most fascinating class to talk about at parties. Not for me, me, not the most fascinating for me to talk about, but most fascinating for other people at parties was the artificial intelligence class. And I actually went through my old college textbooks beforehand, before this uh, interview, and I, I grabbed my AI textbook, that gigantic brick, artificial intelligence, a modern approach, third edition, Stuart Russell, Peter Norvig, authors. So if you ever want to read that, um, probably not going to make sense unless you've taken a lot of advanced mathematics, but um, yeah, happy to be here. So we're, what we're hearing is that people are using, it's a website. So I actually went to the website and I was confused. So I don't even know how to work it. But if you want to tell us about this website, it's something called like Chat GPT. And it's yeah. some kind of AI. I know people do art on it, and, but they also are doing their homework on it. Would you tell us what is this website that people are going to? Yeah, so Chat GPT is a... Uh, it, it's essentially what's a, a chatbot. Um, it's a type of artificial intelligence that uh, essentially engages in conversation. And it's based upon uh, the GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. And it's based off of a couple of AI language AI models called GPT 3.5 and GPT 4 uh, from OpenAI. And they have a series of foundational GPT models that are using proprietary data that's been fine-tuned for conversational applications using a, a variety of different techniques that I'm not going to get into because it's very complex stuff that, again, it would take me an entire semester to explain all of it. Um, but it essentially is a glorified chatbot. It's, it, learning isn't quite the right word, but it's the closest word that we can approximate. And the way it learns is it's just given whole reams of text, like every single book ever published in the Library of Congress, everything on the Internet Archive. Um, it's scraped a lot of publicly available social media, in particular Reddit. Um, and it was all trained on this data in order to convincingly speak English. The problem is, is all it knows, and I, I, put, no, I put knows in scare quotes, the only thing it knows 
is English grammar and spelling and, and how people talk. It doesn't actually know facts. That wasn't part of its training model. Um, uh, an example that actually was just published a couple weeks ago um, was a, a series of researchers have been asking it this same math problem consistently over the last few uh, months. And at first it answered this math problem correctly, but as it goes and as it continues speaking to people, it's gotten dumber and dumber, and now it can't solve the math problem anymore. And it's, it's actually not even close anymore. What is going to happen with everyone who is writing their research papers on this website? That might not well, get an A anymore. Well, um, I'm going to, this might be a little bit of a spoiler, but uh, there's some lawyers who've been using this for, for uh, research. So in uh, New it, this was on, uh, you can look this up. It was on uh, CNN's business website uh, from uh, end of May of this year. So there was a, a case in the, uh, Southern District of New York, where an individual, Roberto Mata, sued Avianca Airlines, which, if I recall, that's like one of the tiny regional airlines that feeds into um, – oh, sorry, no, it's in Colombia. Um, sorry, there's a lot of uh, – my mistake. There's a lot of airlines that are really small that actually operate using the branding of bigger airlines, and they use smaller little um, – puddle jumper jets, but Avianca Airlines is an airline out of Colombia, and he sued him, and his lawyer decided to do some research by asking ChatGPT. ChatGPT came up with all these cases, Varghese versus China South Airlines, Martinez versus Delta Airlines, Shaboon versus Egypt Air, Peterson v. Iran Air, Miller v. United Airlines, Estate of Durden via KLM Royal Dutch Airlines, and so on and so forth. The problem is none of these cases exist. So it knows how to spit out citations, but it doesn't actually know whether or not those citations exist. It knows how to spit out examples of things, but not things themselves. And so when he submitted this file, when the attorney for this guy submitted the filing to court with all of these citations, the judge looks through it and is like, these don't exist. So the lawyer in question is a, uh, he, he got in trouble with the bar, um, and uh, I have a feeling that Mr. Mata is probably going to have a uh, case if he were to sue his lawyer for um, malpractice of law. Oh. So basically there's two ways to look at this. Those of us who are in guardianship and have hired attorneys – these attorneys could be basically going on this AI website and being lazy and then filing all this paperwork, which is not going to be accurate for us. On the other end, we have a lot of people going pro se, and they're going to go onto this AI website, and they're going to generate a really good-looking document, but it's not it's not going to be right. Did you want to speak to both sides of this coin? Yeah, absolutely. So the lawyers who are going out and um, I would say stealing from their clients by not doing the research themselves, not hitting the books themselves, and instead asking ChatGPT to do it instead, um, they're essentially stealing from their clients, wasting the court's time, wasting your time, and ultimately probably costing you the case. 
Um, yeah. That's huge. That's really dangerous. And I would look very closely when you sign the contract with your lawyers. You might want to insist on a clause that says that there's not they're not going to use AI in the in a in generating any of their um, documents that they submit to the court. But uh, similarly, for scary pro- stuff. Yeah. S- similarly, for pro se, um, chat GPT might be useful if you're looking for like a an example of how to write a particular legal document. Um, I would say it would be much better to find actual examples of the kind of legal document you're looking to write. But ChatGPT might give you some ideas on how to how to word things. But don't go asking ChatGPT for facts. Um, it doesn't have any facts in its knowledge base, um, other than the facts of how real people speak English. Well, this is super interesting because I'm guessing that there's a lot of lazy lawyers out there that would just I mean, they love making money, so they'll just make a whole bunch of money and push a button on an AI website, and it looks good, so they're going to submit it. And then on the other end, the pro se litigant is going to think that they have found something pretty exciting, and they're going to submit it. Uh, Both cases blows the case. Now, there could be judges out there that can't, figure this out or are they all going to figure it out? What do you think? So it's eventually, I mean, right now it's pretty unprecedented. So in the case of um, Mr. Mata suing Avianca Airlines, uh, that was the first time the Southern District of New York had to deal with that. Um, And every court's going to invent their own rules probably um, until at some point Congress might impose a uniform rule. But, and even though that only applies to the federal courts, every state is different. You have different state courts, how they every state organizes their court systems differently. Um, it's going to be a mess, and it's going to take some time so before before the legal system has rules in place for the use of um, artificial intelligence. Or so as the case of artificial unintelligence. Judge isn't going to know. So they're going to submit a document if the lazy lawyer is going to submit a document that looks good on the surface, but it's got all fake. It's all fake. It's got all this um, uh, previous law, and then they quote, oh, yeah, in this hearing, this, well, I can't remember what they call that. Anyway, um, and it's all fake. And then the same with the pro se person. And if they figure out either one, yeah, your, your case just got blown. So this is something that yeah. everyone, because a lot of our listeners are going through the legal legal situations. How can you? How would you figure out if something was fake? Would you just kind of Google what they're referencing, or what would you do to if you if you just basically hiring an attorney? How do you fact check that attorney that they didn't do this? So if they're citing specific cases, you can look that up, and if that case doesn't exist, well, that's a pretty good sign that you're dealing with. AI lawyer rather than actual law, because um, all court cases in the U.S. Are, are public. I mean, sure, they might be proceedings might be sealed, the, the 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 citations might be sealed, but you can at least see whether or not the case happened, um, especially in the probate court. Yeah, you'll find a lot of stuff that's sealed, but you can see that things have happened before. And typically, appellate decisions, which is what you really want to be looking at, appellate and Supreme Court decisions. Um, 
previous trial court decisions aren't going to be relevant unless it's the same judge. Um, but when you're dealing with uh, when when you're you can verify that a case happened. You can verify um, whether or not a uh, guy named Miller ever sued United Airlines because um, typically these case citations will also have a case number, a docket number, and what court it was in. Um, you can look that up. Um, the federal courts, there's justia um, in if it's something that's in a state court or something. For, for example, if you're in a, in a, in a Pennsylvania court, uh, precedent from a court in Oregon isn't going to be useful. Different states, different laws. Um, obviously, right. anything in the federal court could be useful, but anything in a state court, unless it's from the same state, isn't going to be useful. So if you're doing some sort of probate filing, you've got to be laser focused on that state's laws. So if ChatGPT throws out stuff from like France, that's of no use to you. Right. Now, what sort, what deal would be, like, let's say, you know, I'm in guardianship and the opposing attorney is doing this stuff. The judge takes it as fact and then I double check it and I find it to be fake. What's the recourse when the, when the judge accepted this as fact and I just busted it out? Like, like would what would you say would happen well what happened in the case of um of uh, roberta mata versus avianca airlines is avianca airlines um filed a rebuttal brief stating that none of these cases actually exist and they were able to refute the facts and stating that these don't exist you made this all up this all got made up and at that point, the court that ordered him. Really and, yeah, it looked really bad. And, and that's why um, the attorney, Stephen Schwartz, um, he's facing sanctions. He's facing official punishment for um, for misconduct, for professional misconduct. So this would be like if you had an evil attorney, man, fact check them. Because if you found something like this, that would be like, would that be like winning the lottery? You could make that lawyer just look like an idiot. What do you think? Theogenes. And it would be, I mean, fact, I feel you got to fact check these predator lawyers. Well, the, I mean, it's one thing to, to get an interpretation of a, of a judicial decision wrong, right? That's an opinion. Differences of opinion are, are the entire, if everyone, if there was a correct opinion, there wouldn't be lawyers. There wouldn't be, we wouldn't need, um, we wouldn't need, tri, we wouldn't need triers of law. We could just get away with juries and that would be it. Um, but, um, there's basic facts like did this case actually happen? That's that's really bad. That says that you didn't do any homework and you didn't even do Google. So in in, in this case we have how did um, the attorney Schwartz determine if the uh, case was real? I asked ChatGPT, is this a real case? ChatGPT, yes, it's a real case. Well, ChatGPT doesn't know anything. ChatGPT isn't a person. It has no agency. It has no motivation. All it does is it spits out text that looks like a human wrote it. it I feel this is a huge warning. Yeah. I, I would have to guess that there are more lawyers out there doing it because they're lazy. And if they're, if you are pro se, I bet you that opposing lawyer would probably do this because they will figure they'll get away with it and they can bill and just, yeah. So I would definitely say it is time to start fact checking when Cases are cited. You got to you got to Google them and you got to fact check them. 
It's kind of like I think one time we were talking about you need to have a receipt. You need to have a receipt to say that it really happened. And, you know, getting off of AI and getting on to basically the topic of the name of the show, Mirage Man. And as you know, we deal with a lot of star chamber going on here in guardianship and the gaslighting of the families and victims and basically, it's almost like it ties together. It's like a chat box making up things that sound good because it's going to make this other person look bad because they, whether you're bad or not, they want you to look bad. And in the end, it can drive people insane. And I know you have a few examples of basically people falling off the deep end did you want to, like, speak to – I know it, this is, like, a giant topic. I don't even know where to start yeah. to describe yeah, what, what we've been talking about. And, and before I get into it, I just want to say AI is going to make it worse. So we now have this technology that you can use to super using, – um, using very powerful graphics cards. Well, I shouldn't say power, very powerful. It's the kind that any uh, teenager could go out and buy to play video games. Uh, to generate um, it, what people have been doing is taking uh, photos of celebrities and then using these, uh, using their commercially available computers that any teenager with a summer job could afford to make what's called deep fakes, which is a, a which is essentially using, using very, um, I won't say powerful computers, but commercially available consumer grade hardware to essentially make fake pornographic images of celebrities or classmates or, or other things. And it's getting difficult to determine what is true and what is false now, thanks to AI. And that, but this has always been a problem, always been a problem. AI is just going to make it worse. But um, one of the best documented instances has to be when you deal with um, the UFO community, um, in particular, and, and Mirage oh. Men, that actually comes from a that comes from a, a documentary series that's based off of a, a, a book. I'll, I'll get into that concept a little bit, but the documentary, um, I just looked this up earlier, uh, right before the call. You can go onto YouTube, at, at least in the United States. I don't know how, if it, how it works outside the United States, but the documentary is called Mirage Men. You can watch it on YouTube free with some ads. But the idea is um, talking about a few instances of people who were driven insane by this individual who worked for the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. His name was Special Agent Richard Doty. And part of uh, the Office of Special Investigations, I'm going to call them OSI, part of their job is what's called counterintelligence. And counterintelligence is how you – essentially stop other people from spying on you. And what Richard Doty decided to do when people came across very advanced platforms, such as, um, such as the U-2 um, uh, spy plane, the SR-71, the, the F-117, and the B-2 stealth uh, bombers, um, was he went up to them and he said, no, it's aliens. And he told them all of these lies about aliens and, and, uh, and what the government supposedly knows about aliens. And 
then would break into people into these people's houses, but tell them, oh, I had nothing to do with this, and just drove people and made them doubt their own sanity um, to the point where actually a couple individuals ended up in an insane asylum and, and, uh, and, and passed away there. Um, Richard Doty was able to retire. He's drawing a pension. Uh, if you're a U.S. citizen, you're paying for his retirement. And uh, But Richard Doty wasn't the guy who invented that. Um, I brought up the U-2 spy plane. So back earlier, uh, when the U-2 was first introduced, because it flew at 60,000 feet, that was way higher than any other aircraft was flying at that time. And so people, you have very intelligent people who look up in the sky, maybe they were pilots. I mean, this was this was shortly after World War II, and there weren't enough commercial aviation jobs for all the pilots who flew in World War II. So a lot of them just ended up getting normal jobs. Um, and they would look up in the skies, and they'd see things flying at way higher altitude than they should be. Um, and they'd phone it in because, I mean, there was a big shiny object flying around at 60,000 feet. I don't know what that is. That There's no aircraft that flies at 60,000 feet. So they call it in, and they genuinely think it's aliens. Um, and the problem is the Air Force knows exactly what they're talking about. Oh, crap, they found that they see the U-2. So they created this thing called Project Blue Book. And what they did is all the U-2 cases, they went and said, oh, that's swamp gas. Oh, no, no, that's, that's the planet Venus. Oh, that's the moon. When a lot of the times people were genuinely seeing an, an aircraft in the sky, but it was an aircraft the government would rather, uh, rather people not know about. Certainly not the Soviets know about, but definitely not the American people knowing about, because if the American people are talking about strange aircraft in the sky, and guess what? The Soviets read our, well, the Soviets are back then, and now our adversaries today, they read our newspapers. They know what we're talking about. Yeah. Now, as I'm hearing this, and just hearing basically that employee of the government can basically make someone think that they're crazy, they call that like the gaslighting thing. I, I know that you are aware with the guardianship probate kind of thing. I'm seeing a little bit of similarities where we have a predator attorney, family members in different ways, making them think they're crazy or making them, you know, have you, what do you have to say on that part? And how do you know when someone has been basically driven to the brink, like they're at their end, they're at the end because they, they're not even the same person anymore because of what probate court has done to them. Have, do you, have you, do you see examples of that? I, I've definitely seen examples of it. Uh, it's not always the government that does this to people. Um, it's very frequently you have um, abusive romantic partners will do this to people. Um, and they they had it in, a, in an episode of Star Trek, actually, The Next Generation, where uh, Captain Picard was uh, kidnapped by aliens. <laughs> Funny. Um, and they were torturing him. And... Um, they were shining four lights on the wall and they were torturing him. And they said that the torch, that the beatings would continue until he confessed to seeing five lights. Um, and he, he never relented. And, and finally, finally, just as he's rescued, he finally breaks and he starts to hallucinate a fifth light. Um, so it's, it's really hard to defeat this. And, and um, 
really it's one of the things you can do um, is write it down. If it's written down, it happened. If it's not written down, it never happened. So people will tell you one thing, but they'll know, I never said that. Write it down because they'll try and make you doubt yourself. If you write things down right after they happen, now you have your facts straight because what they're taking advantage of is the fact that human memory isn't perfect. When you remember things, you actually remember the last time you remembered it. And it's, we're learning so much more about how human memory is quite fallible. And, and I think everyone deep down knows that, but I think a lot of people think that they're unique maybe in that their memory is fallible and they don't realize that's just how the human brain works. And, and that's why we write things down because human memory is fallible. And the other thing to keep in mind is you might be a, you might be a genius and I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying this to brag, but I've been tested. I'm a certifiable genius, but no individual no Einstein, no John von Neumann, no Robert Oppenheimer, no genius is smarter than an institution. And, and that was one of the big insights in political science of, since the Napoleonic Wars. Um, after Napoleon, there was this uh, fellow who was in Prussia, which is now part of Germany. Um, and his name was uh, Karl von Clausewitz. And he was studying Napoleon and he was trying to and, and studying European history, and he was knowing that the dominant power in Europe at any given time was there'd be some sort of martial genius who would be born to royalty or nobility, and while that guy was alive and working, they were the dominant power in Europe. Um, in the case of Prussia, you have uh, Frederick the Great, um, who was the king, of, the king of Prussia, and Prussia came to dominate Central Europe militarily. Um, you have... Uh, I can't remember which Charles it was, but in, in, in Sweden, there was a King Charles, the over a dozen. They loved to name themselves Charles, the Kings of Sweden. Um, and he was this absolutely brilliant general. And Sweden was going around just kicking all sorts of butt. They were beating the Russians everywhere. They, every time they went to fight with them until one day this King Charles got hit by a stray bullet and Sweden collapsed militarily. Um, Never to be, never to be relevant ever again. Um, ah. So what Carl von Clausewitz determined was that the way you beat geniuses is you need to have an institution because you can't because you might be able to outsmart one person, but you can't outsmart you can't outsmart hundreds of people who are laser focused on outsmarting you. And so the, the Prussians yeah. developed all these techniques that every Western government uses today um, in order to for, – for military planning and, and national defense. And that's, and that's why we have these think tanks, and that's why we have these institutions, because no one – no individual can outsmart an institution. I do notice that a lot of these um, guardians usually have some sort of background working in like a – psychiatric unit on the hospitals and stuff and I've always felt like they they are playing a different game and you don't know it right when you get pulled in the trap you think okay this is the, the judicial this is going to be good and of course not all judicial is bad but we have a few that just run their star chambers and they seem to have a playbook and because they seem to be on these psychiatric units, 
they seem to really know how to mess with your mind. Would you yeah. agree with that? And and what would you say? I mean, I don't know that pe- people, and this will blindside you. I mean, my family, I've told you the story of what my family's gone through and various other people that I know about and care about. They are just being tormented. And I do feel it is a form of like a psychological warfare that's being conducted on people in these probate courts through these predator attorneys, judges who are star chamber orchestrating it, and these guardians that just seem to help perpetrate these, you know, this action on others. What what have you noticed based on the little bit of stories that I've told you about this? So, so yeah, a lot of these people they come from a psychological background. They've taken all. Of, they've taken a lot more psychology classes than you or me. Um, I had to take some psychology right. classes for computer science program. Obviously, for AI, I had to go into cognitive, do a little bit of study cognitive science, uh, things of that nature. So I, I know a little bit about cognition, but humans aren't rational creatures. Um, there's a lot of things that govern why humans tick. And why humans do what they do. And these people, they understand it implicitly. And they know exactly what to do. Um, there's, there's two dystopian novels that are, that are probably the classics of English literature. And, and one definitely gets talked about all the time, and it's the less relevant one. Everyone knows 1984. Everyone's heard of 1984. Everyone, everyone knows about it. I don't think anyone's read it. In fact, I think a lot of people haven't even seen the movie because most of the people talking about 1984 are bringing up things that have nothing to do with the plot of 1984 other than there's like a guy named Big Brother. Um, but the other dystopian novel, and I think the one that's far more relevant and I think probably the one that hasn't been adopted into a film because it's it's far more relevant, is Brave New World. Um, I won't spoil the plot, but the, the insidious part of Brave New World is that everyone's happy in it. They don't yeah. need fear to keep blind. They they manage. It's it's a real terrifying thing. And, and what they do is they they don't they don't threaten you with with uh, for disobeying the party line. Is they genuinely make you believe. Um, and it's, it's kind of a, it's a societal level gaslighting, and you see it playing out quite frequently. A, again, with the whole UFO stuff. Um, just this week, we had a, a great example of gaslighting uh, played out in real life uh, with that joke of a hearing that they had in the House of Representatives talking about UFOs. So you have this one guy comes on here, says all this bombastic stuff about um, alien bodies and, and whatnot. And um, you've seen the, the scene of, uh, from The Simpsons where, um, where Professor Skinner is talking to the school superintendent. He invites him over for lunch. And um, he tells them that they're going to be having steamed clams, but then he actually serves fast food that he bought from a from a from a fast food restaurant across the street and told them he was having steamed hams. And then when the kitchen's on fire, yeah, but the kitchen's on fire, and the superintendent is again, what is that? And Principal Skinner just looks him straight in the eye. It's the aurora borealis, the northern lights. And, and the superintendent is in your kitchen, localized in your kitchen, in the middle of the day, this far south, and I'm just supposed to believe that? 
And it says, yes. <laughs> Can I see it? No. And he just goes along with it because he sold it so convincingly, he managed to convince them that a kitchen that was on fire was actually the Aurora Borealis. And people let them let people willingly go along with um being stumped like that. And and uh and when you have a credulous media especially that goes along with it, you, you just kinda go along it, everyone tends to believe it. And so there's a lot of people who just now accept this despite the only assurances we have a guy just very convincingly saying it happened, but he can't show you the proof it's classified. Um, and, that, and that's a, a, a concept um, from post-structuralism called hyper-reality. Um, very fascinating subject. Highly, highly recommend looking into it. And, and really all of this stuff, fakes, uh, the, the deep fakes, the chat GPT giving fake citations, um, UFO stuff, all of it is just an example of hyper-reality, which is just gaslighting writ large. I mean, we're not going to know what's true because I'm going to guess that as, you know, election years, you know, rev up, we're going to see basically fake stuff on the news. I mean, we're going to really see fake news because they're going to digitize and say, look, this, oh, this, you know, this guy over here, you know, on the left or on the right, they did this and this and this, and it's going to seem so real, and the masses are going to believe it. And I feel that also, like, thinking about this is you go back into, like, the, the guardianship stuff, like, the the attorneys, they, they'll do these long, like, eight-hour-long guardianship hearing, which a non-corrupt when you're in an eight-hour guardianship hearing or even a two-day guardianship hearing, which I've experienced, um, you are in a star chamber. shouldn't take that long. But what they're doing is they're beating you down. They're drumming up all kinds of lies against you, and it's all getting, you know, put in paper. And then they're going to pick and choose everything that they can, you know, go through these papers to use against you. And I don't know mm-hmm. how you escape it, but just know that when you've lost it, you are telling other people this story without a document to prove that it even happened. And, um, yeah. Janice, did you want to – I know we've talked about it. You, you said it basically that you need to have a receipt. And could you, yeah. could you kind of talk to that? Because so many people are there – I mean, this is – this is a travesty that's happening in their families. A, it's hard to fight, but someday, if you're going to fight, how do you fight it right? You can't just spin your wheels and run your mouth. Can you yep. can yep. you um, give us some insight? So I, w- I was talking about that a little bit earlier. It, it, if it isn't written down, it didn't happen. And then the corollary, if you wrote it down, it happened. Um, laws... The, the beautiful thing about living in this country and, and living in an advanced Western democracy is that laws are written down. There's a lot of them. It's going to take a lot of time to read them all. So you got to pick, you got to find the ones that are relevant, but it's all written down. There's no magic words that you have to, that some, that some uh, guy on, on the internet is going to tell you to say to make it go away. It's, but the law is all written down. Um, past cases, the codified statutes, um, 
precedent all written down. You can find that. You, you got to do your research. And that's what those lawyers are supposed to be doing is they're supposed to be doing the, that research for you. But the statutes are, are pretty, pretty, pretty there. If you're facing a, uh, if you're facing any sort of guardianship hearing and you're going pro se, you absolutely need to go down to the courthouse in question and you got to start combing through records for previous guardianship cases and seeing how the law is applied in those cases. And then using that, because that's what the other lawyers are doing. That's what a lawyer does is they go down to the courthouse and they're reading up the previous cases to find out how that judge thinks and what that judge thinks about different areas of the law. That's what they're doing. If you want to beat them, you got to play that game. You got to, you got, you got to read what that judge has ruled previously on similar areas of law. And that'll tell you how that judge thinks. And then you just got to present the facts while bringing up the previous cases that that same judge has ruled on and saying, look, you've done something similar, and this is what the facts were in that case were similar to the facts here. You ruled in a way that I want you to rule. I wanted you to rule this way, and you did rule this way given this set of facts. These facts are similar enough. You should rule the same way. Or, or conversely, these facts are so different from this decision where you ruled one way, you should rule the other way. And it's just figuring out how that judge thinks, getting into that judge's head. And the other thing is, if a judge changes his mind on a whim, even though you've cited that specific judge's own previous cases, that's going to look really bad because it means that the judge has no actual rule and is just making it up as he goes along, which is, that's very bad in, in, in a common law legal system like what we have in the U.S. and Australia and the United Kingdom and, and Canada and other places that were once part of the British Empire. Yeah, I mean, that that would be a, a, sniff, a sniff of possible corruption. But, yeah. I mean, I guess I go back to thinking about, I think about people who get caught up in the, the guardianship, and they do a lot of complaining. And I know that government agencies are going to get a lot of complaining, but when they complain, they don't submit a legal document to back up their complaint. And those legal documents exist. People don't know where to look for them. You might still not get your way, and you're, you know, it still might not work out how you wanted it, but you're laying seeds to bust them out someday. But the constant yeah. complaining with no documentation, you, they now think you're crazy. And isn't that sort of a yeah. mirage man attack? Like, I'm going to make you look crazy. Could you could you yep. go on? I mean, yep. I don't know if you've seen any of these kind of letters that get mailed to different like agencies. Um, uh, I have without going into any details. Um, I'm I'm familiar. Um, there are some people who, uh, when they develop schizophrenia, they love to uh, email institutions, uh, particularly governmental or academic or religious institutions, and they run their mouth about their, their crazy stuff. Um, about a decade or 15 years ago, there was a really famous one about uh, called Time Cube. And there was an individual, uh, Gene Ray was his name. Uh, he's since passed away. But uh, he was absolutely convinced that, um, that uh, in any one day, there was actually four days because of this time cube concept that he had it, it was this gigantic wall of text and 
you could look through it and you could tell he was very, he thought very highly of himself. He thought everyone else was stupid. Um, and, and everyone just needed to shut up and, and listen to him and, and believe him. But um, again, he didn't have any proof. And uh, yeah. I, think it was, I, think, I think it was Ludwig Wittgenstein. If you can say something wrong, if you can say something wrong, but in a very clear and concise fashion, you've still actually gained something quite valuable. But when you're just kind of ranting and raving, it, it comes across as lunatic behavior and, and people are going to ignore you and, and, uh, and want nothing to do with you. Um, but if you have documentation, if you have, if you have proof, if you have citations, now you're in a different territory. You can point to things. And, and um, especially if you can point to previous court cases, um, the other thing that I love to talk about, the Freedom of Information Act, or some states call it open records, um, every jurisdiction at least in the United States at the federal, state, and local levels have some sort of law in place, um, and it's called different things in different jurisdictions. The feds call it the Freedom of Information Act, uh, where you can ask for any, any document under the sun or any documents pertaining to a particular subject, and they just have to give them to you. Um, and if you can point to, yep, this is an actual government document, that helps your case immensely. Having documentation is so important. Documentation is everything. Document, if it's written down, it happened. That's so huge in how the legal system operates and, and how business operates and how everything operates. It's um, Honestly, the reason I get paid the big bucks uh, as a cybersecurity professional isn't because I know some super scary hacker techniques it's because i can look into computers generate logs they generate tons of logs and those logs have meaning to them and if you can go through them and read them and see what the computer's trying to tell me happened and then i can translate that to, to business person speak um i make i make sense of these giant reams of text for people and i get paid lots of money for that um because it's all written down it all happened i just have to turn all of these documents into a narrative that someone who isn't an expert can understand. So I have a question. So let's say I believe that a judge was having ex parte communications via email and I can I through like a Freedom of Information Act, let's say for example, I could say I want all I want every complaint that I ever listed to the FBI that had my name involved and add, you know, add my loved one's name. Can I say, I want to see so, that. Um, so to be very clear, um, one of the exceptions in the freedom of information act is names of living persons. However, there's another related federal law called the privacy act where you're allowed to see everything that the government has on you or other people whose consent you have. So, um, if you if you want to see if whether or not the the FBI, for instance, if you want to see all the stuff the FBI has done with information you've submitted, especially if they gave you a case number, you absolutely can file it. There's a there's a web on the FBI website. There they have the, the FOIA portal. You can go on there and um, you can submit uh, details. But the thing is, you have to be specific. Um, and they might not have anything. Like once as a joke, I submitted a FOIA request to the FBI um, looking up uh, anything that they, any any communi written communications that they had in pertaining to this 
um, this obvious drawing of a snowman that someone had made in, in Microsoft Paint. Um, I wanted to see if there was any written communications on there. And, well, turns out there wasn't any. So the FBI closed my FOIA request as non-responsive because they had, uh, they had no records responsive to my request, which is kind of what I expected. But I was able to make a joke out of it, like, ha, 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 the FBI is covering this up. Um, but FOIA is extremely powerful. And um, if you don't believe me, uh, there's a journalist by the name of John Greenwald. He runs a website called The Black Vault. And he just goes over all of these documents that he's gotten out of the government. And he's had to force the government to own up to some pretty embarrassing things, um, really embarrassing things. Uh, like there's definitely cover-ups and there's definitely a bombshells sometimes. But oftentimes it's not what you're expecting. It will come out instead that, oh, you want to find out about the, the – uh, uh, particular program that I don't know, there was one program UFO program that the Pentagon did, and when they actually dug into it with FOIA and whatnot, they figured out it was actually a a quest to hunt for werewolves and Bigfoot, oh. and they spent your money on this. Wow, two hundred million dollars of your money to look for Bigfoot, and they never found them. So no, no, they, 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 they did not find Bigfoot. Um, uh, the, someone suggested that maybe Bigfoot was in league with the aliens, and, and that's why they couldn't find Bigfoot. So your money was spent on government papers. Wow. So back to like a probate court. Let's say, let's say we go back in time, and I say, I would like to request every email that judge had that contained my name in the email. Could I get that? You might be able to. I Again, that would be governed under Pennsylvania state law. I'm not an expert on how the Open Records or Freedom of Information Act applies in Pennsylvania. But the thing is, though, the worst thing they can do is say no. That's the, the worst thing that can happen is they say, sorry, we can't give you these documents. Um, but you might get something. If you send it in, right. you might get some. Because um, former Judge Ott is no longer a judge, those emails might have been sent over to the records depository, which every state has a historical society. And that's where the official records are stored for posterity so that 200 years from now, historians can read emails. Um, I imagine so a lot of emails. Yes, they're still there. They're just. You might, they might they might not be at the courts. They might be at the historical society. Oh, interesting. So yep. someone who's currently going through guardianship could ask for the emails pertaining to their case from a judge. Yep, and, and so one of the and so they should be able to get most of those. Obviously, anything that is an attorney-client email. Um, that's covered under one, an attorney-client privilege that's not going to be released. But again, if a judge says, oh, I can't talk about this email where I talked about you because of attorney-client privilege, and it's some counsel who's involved in the case, now you have proof of a conflict of interest. This attorney is somehow has this judge as a client. Oh, this is this is some good stuff. I hope everyone is listening up. So you're in a current case. You can request through Freedom of Information Act the emails of the judge that you're dealing with, anything with your name on it. 
Okay, what happens when the judge hits the delete button? So if the judge deletes it, that's, uh, again, every state is different, but that can carry criminal penalties. Um, you are not supposed to delete things um, unless it's legally authorized, and, and uh, you better have it documented why you did it. Um, like, for example, you'll have people who will um, – Sometimes people will, well, typically while they're involved in an investigation or whatnot, is they'll inadvertently email evidence in a child abuse case. And, ooh, we don't want that in that email system. That goes into a separate sealed environment for handling that kind of evidence. Um, so you'll delete that, but you'll state why it was deleted. And, and that's the, the thing. If something is removed, you have to state why. And, and it has to be a legally permissible reason. Um, and in the case, of, and in the, case of, of the child abuse imagery, the reason they're able to delete that is, well, this is actually a, technically a copy of evidence that's maintained elsewhere, but even then you're not allowed to look at that evidence because you're not a party to this case, and we don't need to, we don't need to spread records of people's child abuse um, beyond wow. the jury. So, so and that, that's one statutory exemption. Um, again, other ones involving living persons. Um, we we don't want to we don't want to interfere with with the privacy of uh, with 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 private people. We don't want to um, interfere with them needlessly. But yeah, other than that, if they're withholding records, they have to tell you why. And it can't this just be well. I Diogenes, I just want to let you know I have gotten several messages within the last probably twenty minutes. And you are a hit. So I just want to read over the call, guest call-in number. If you have any questions for Diogenes, the last time we had Diogenes on, he was on with the famous Marty Oakley. Question that you want to ask about HIPAA, that was what we discussed last time, and he was wildly popular then. Here's the call-in number. If you have any questions that you would like to ask Diogenes, the number is area code 917 388-4520. Again, the number is 917-388-4520. And hit the number one, because I know a lot of people are listening online, so you actually have to hang up and use your cell phone and call in and ask questions. So if you have any questions, go ahead and hit one. Um, real quick, why don't we review, because uh, that was such a crazy, wild show that you did, HIPAA. A real quick five minutes, give us a HIPAA talk. What is it? Before that, before that, can I just give one more thing about the what if they hit the delete button on the email? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Another thing just to keep in mind. So most of your email, most email in the business world is very different than your personal Gmail or Hotmail accounts. Um, when you're in a corporate or government environment and you hit delete, that just deletes it for you. For the system administrators, the people who run the exchange server, um, the actual email server, that's still preserved. So, you're, so corrupt officials who are listening, if you think you're safe because you hit the delete button, you're not. Those emails are still out there. And if you want to delete them, good luck convincing IT to delete them. You better have a legally permissible reason. Ooh. That's good to hear. What about 
um, blocking people's emails. I had heard, you know, we had heard that that was happening in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, where people who were pro se had system-wide email block the whole county. What, I mean. So, so um, it's in the First Amendment. Uh, you have the right to petition the government for redress of grievance. Um, if the government is saying we're not letting you talk to us anymore, they are violating your rights in the First Amendment, I would highly recommend reaching out to the American Civil Liberties Union because that is particularly egregious. Um, they're not supposed I, to block your email unless you're sending them illegal stuff like malware or phishing or things of that nature. If you're complaining, you have a constitutional right to complain to your heart's content. So Montgomery County, Pennsylvania is doing someone very wrong and, I mean, as as is reported um, pretty much on a weekly basis, how terrible they are. So blocking the emails is is not something that is a standard procedure across the United States. So I guess that just opens up the door. So most likely these people who are blocking emails have no idea when they're hitting the delete button that it's still on the servers. So when you Correct. are on an email, pretty much, if you are on a work email or if you work for the government in any place, you have no expectation of privacy. Would you like to speak to that? Yeah. So, so again, because those messages, um, those belong to your employer, whether it be a corporation or the government or what have you, and a lot of companies and the government retain those communications in a, in a searchable archive that, the, that their lawyers can look at whenever they want, because if they just allow you to delete emails willy-nilly, oh, no, that's obstruction of justice, which in a lawsuit, and that now sudden something that tends, that is something that will turn a civil lawsuit into a crime, a big deal crime. So um, people are very, very careful to maintain their records and not delete them needlessly goes in as business as well not just government so i just know like um you know basically even like me working in restaurants like people go and go playing on people's computers you have no expectation of privacy they can have trackers to see where you've been on the emails i mean just basically whether you work for the government or any sort of business you have, you your emails and your privacy are not protected when you are using that we have a caller we've had so many great compliments going on and we are looking at area code 267 so let's see area code 267 your last hi cause it's lisa how are you oh i'm great lisa thank you for calling in i i had so to i'm i'm just calling in for loving- quick I'm calling in for a quick thank yeah. you, and I don't know who that gentleman is that works for HIPAA that you have on the phone, but he's saying some really um, informative and amazing things that I have not heard before, and the show is just great tonight. You're on fire. Thank you. Oh, my oh my goodness. Thank you so much. Did you have any questions for Diogenes? No, I, I just want to listen, so I'm hanging up now. Bye. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for the positive feedback. All right, no I'll problem. put you back Thanks. on to Bye. I'll put you back over. Thank you. Yeah, Diogenes, I am getting a lot of great compliments. As you know, we have been talking about doing this show for several months 
and Diogenes and I have been, we've known each other for a few years, and I just love that we can sometimes have just some really, really neat, nerdy conversations. Wherever wherever you live, Diogenes will sometimes answer the phone and answer my crazy questions. So we go back just a few years, and I appreciate um, boy, so everyone is super excited. You have really opened the doors for a lot of people. And as you know, our listeners are usually going through guardianship. What other what other tactics do you feel that they can use while they're going through the um, guardianship using some of these freedom of information tactics? So, again, um, most public officials get really irritated when you uh, submit FOIA requests. So that's one of the – if you just want to be annoying and get under their skin, file FOIA requests all day long. Um, that's, uh, that's a right guaranteed by the legislature. Uh, you can just file them left and right, and, they, and all they can do is just cry about it. Um, they, might, they might throw up little institutional hurdles, but, again, if you run into those problems, um, the Black Vault in particular, uh, he has a web form, and there's a lot of people who have a lot of experience typically going after the government for conspiracy theory level stuff. But man, if you got something that's, I mean, you got people being kidnapped and murdered, that's salacious stuff. And that community would definitely, I think, be very willing to help people who are willing to put in the work. And and you are correct. There are people who, in their opinion, believe that guardianship is a form of human trafficking and that their loved ones are being kidnapped and murdered. So thank you for bringing that up, that you do recognize that uh, this is a serious, serious situation, and these are serious accusations that are being thrown at some of these predators going on in the, court, in the courthouses and doing um, the guardianship stuff. Let's talk about the balance of power. One of the things that I run into when I talk to many people, as people know, I am a liaison with NASCA, the National Association to Stop Guardianship Abuse. I represent the state of Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Maryland. I do reside in Wisconsin, but I was in, in and out of court for 11 years in Pennsylvania. That's how I have those states, and I used to live in Maryland for a long, long time. So that's how I have those states. And then my sister has some other states. I can't remember. I think it's Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina, I think. But you can go on the website, stopguardianshipabuse.org, and you can look up your state or definitely send a question. And NASCA can usually hook you up with someone in your state. They have a database of all the guardianship stories and victims across the United States. To submit your story, I do remember that I had to give a docket number. So this is kind of where we're going to touch base on you can't just run your mouth and complain. You need to show your docket number. You need to show, have some sort of a court document. And there's so many people, Diogenes, that I talk to, and they tell me a really terrible, sad story, and I believe them because I've gone through this stuff, and I know other people have too, but the rest of the world doesn't believe them. Basically, one thing that I have to say all the time is if I tell the story to people, I said, before I tell you the story, you're either going to think I'm a conspiracy theorist 
or I'm a compulsive liar living in the fantasy world. And I go, but what if I'm telling the truth? And then I give them different websites that they can look up because our story has been reported on. And one of the best, Michael Volpe wrote The Guardianship Abuse Spreads to Pennsylvania Parts 1, 2, and 3. Those are all archived at NASCA. There are some, you know, great, of course, shenanigans in the Montgomery County Facebook page basically post the court records documenting what's going on. So as I have a receipt, as you would say, I have a receipt what I'm saying. And other people, they, they don't take the time to get that receipt. Diogenes, what would you say would be a receipt that people who are going through this, what is that, what are those documents that they should have to back up their story so people don't think they're gone on the crazy train? Yeah, uh, definitely filings that are made to the court, uh, decisions of the court, and if you can get a hold of them, the court transcripts as well. Those are all going to be, now of course, you're not going to be able to convince everyone, but you're going to con- be able to convince everyone whose opinion matters if you have these documents to, to prove them. Because in our legal system, um, if you can point to where, how you got those documents and anyone else and any other um, person capable of being relevant can uh, do the same, um, if they can go in and find those documents, you tell them exactly where they need to go to look it up, uh, that massively increases your credibility. Um, again, you're not going to convince everyone. There's some people who think everything's sunshine and rainbows, and there's some people who are, whose brains are so fried by partisan politics that they're going to they're just going to look at is that an R or a D after that person's name? Oh, oh, uh, that person has the letter that I like. Therefore, I'm going to implicitly think that they're the good guy. Or, um, or in the other cases, oh, that person has the letter after my name I don't like are after their name that I don't like. So I'm going to implicitly believe every bad thing you say about them. And you got to, you got to understand there's a little bit of partisanship going on and that's super toxic for um, how things are going on in, in this country. So you're not going to be able to convince those people. Those are, those people are a lost cause, but also their opinions don't matter. Um, they don't actually, I would say in, in, in yeah. fields. One thing that I wish people would understand, and I understand, people are like, I'm not going to file the complaints because nothing is ever done about it. I hear that, I would have to say, 90% of the time when I talk to people, I tell them, these are the complaints that you need to file. And they don't do it, but they want to come on this show and, and tell a sob story. And that's not going to get, that's not going to get you anywhere. You're, everyone's going to hear your sob story and you might, you the the biggest thing is you might connect with somebody in your county that can say the same sob story but it's not going to get yeah. you anywhere so i'm going to go through some of the complaint avenues that you can take and i feel even if you feel the government is corrupt and they're not going to do anything and i know that so many people you know blah 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 probably they feel that they're going to be retaliated against i've I, I feel if you do this enough, the odds of that are going to are low because you've put so much out there, and there's so many different avenues of complaints. And I just believe that if enough people complain, we're going to get some action instead of us pointing the fingers and saying that the government doesn't care and they're not going to do anything. So a few of the places that I'm going to say I feel are really good places to start with the complaints, and yes, I do understand they can fall on deaf ears. 
But the big ones are you file Medicare fraud, Medicare, Medicaid. That's when you all of a sudden get your case is now federal. And that is how when we filed that, we uh, investigation with the attorney general's office opened up. So you want you want to do that. That was um, Senator Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin told me to do that. And that was great, great advice. You want to write to your rep- your elected representatives. You want to write to the different agencies. And Diogenes, why don't you help me? We've got about 20 minutes. Help me go over all the agencies because I've done so many. I mean, let's start with the IRS, the Eternal Revenue Service, because the great mafia mobsters of time, that is how they went down. It was the Internal Revenue Service. Do you know that story, Diogenes? Oh, 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 yes, I'm I mean, come the on. IRS if, if has the, very, so the IRS has very unique legal authorities that no other federal agency has. So, so fun fact. Um, I like to I like to post the, the one of the there's a there's a Batman cartoon from the 90s and because they had the Joker voiced by Mark Hamill and um, and uh, there, there's this one scene where um, they're asking, well, why, why are we doing all this accounting and, and paperwork? Well, aren't we criminals? And, uh, and the Joker has this great line, and he says, um, I might be crazy enough to take on the Batman, but the IRS, no, thank you. Um, <laughs> and they're getting 87,000 new, 87, new agents, so let's put them to work, right? Yeah, exactly. And and the thing is, um, even if even if you are doing so, any your tax return is not admissible in a criminal trial unless the trial in protect in particular is lying on your tax return. So if you are a drug dealer, um, you have to you have to um, claim your income from selling drugs. And uh, they're they're actually us on the um, on the IRS uh, website. You can find instructions for how to claim income from crimes. Um, because if you don't claim your income from doing crimes, uh, you're committing tax fraud. Uh, so, so again, if you you might not be able to get them on a, on a on a on any number of other things, but if they're siphoning money or they're just pilfering things from uh, from their wards and whatnot, and they're not cl- oh that's mm-hmm. theft, and they aren't it's theft on their taxes. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, the IRS does want to know about that. That's how they took down the kids for cash story there in Pennsylvania. Those corrupt judges, yep. they forgot to yep. claim the bribe. So, yep, you have to claim the I bribe. Mean, yeah, you got to claim the bribe. Hey, hey, you holes listening in, claim those bribes or you're going to go down. So basically, Anybody can file. It's an IRS whistleblower form, and I have done it. So I will, I will speak from, from um, experience. So it's an IRS whistleblower form, and if they re- if they actually get money out of the bad guy, you get a percentage of it. So you, we are encouraging you to file on the IRS. So for example, I looked up the income you can look up the, let me give you examples i won't say that i did it 
to protect my butt. So you look up the name of the guardian, and they have to have a business because they're going to have these uh, taxpayer IDs. So they have a business number. And you look up the business number, and you can go and find out what their income is. So you can't always do it on the Internet, but you go to a library. Like I live in Madison, Wisconsin, so I can do this on my library card in Madison, Wisconsin. So you're going to have to do a little bit of um, research. Usually if you live near a university, the universities have these this software. And you can look up because tax, what you file on your taxes, that's all open records. But it's not, you can't just Google it. You need to get in and find it. So you look up the guardian and you look up their income. And let's say they claim that their income is, for example, $60,000 a year. But you know that they charged you $40,000 a year. And you also know that they sit in court that they have 50 wards. So let's do the math. 50 wards times you know they charged your loved one $40,000. The math doesn't add up now, does it, folks? Because that doesn't add up to 60000 So what you do is you need to take, you need to take the bill that was given to your family member, and then you need to get the court record of where that was said in testimony, and then you put this together and you file your IRS whistleblower form, claim why you feel they need to have an investigation. Uh, if anyone ever needs an example, you can private message me and I can send you the example. I will screen you before I send you such that example. But it has been done to certain people that I know, and they will be audited by the IRS, which is a beautiful thing. So, uh, Diogenes, what do you have to say about filing an IRS whistleblower? And because I did it with I mean, I did not have malicious intent. I truly believed that what I was filing, that I had uncovered a crime. I cannot be retaliated against for filing such a a form. Now, if I just did it to be mean, we might have a different thing. But if I actually had documents showing why I believe this, you can't retaliate against a whistleblower. Diogenes, do you have any information on the IRS whistleblower form? I don't have a whole lot. I've never really worked with it um, a whole lot. I I do know that the IRS does take those seriously. That's the the IRS has its own law enforcement division, their own um, group of special agents. Uh, like I said, you took they took down uh, Al Capone because he lied on his taxes. He didn't he didn't claim mm-hmm. his crime and uh, and that's how they got him. I mean. Yeah. If you can catch them saying that, oh, I only make $60,000 a year, but then they say in court they have 50 wards and well, they're charging you $60,000 a year, what, are they doing it for free for everyone else? That's definitely suspicious. Right. Um, especially – now, this is, this is the other thing I would suggest to go further. Look into those other cases. See what they've been billing in all these other cases, and if you can add it up and it, it exceeds their reported income, boom, you got them. Hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. You just made it very easy for the IRS. You did the work for them. Yes. So that is what you need to do. You need to get, you need to find this library. And I wish I knew the name of the program. Diogenes, by any chance, do you know the name of the program? Because I have not been, I actually haven't been to the library in over 10 years doing this research. 
So, but it's a I, program. I, I, had, I had to go in person to the library to do the research. So I'm not entirely certain what database that is. However, the job of the librarian is to know what databases are what. And so I would, that's what your librarians are for. Um, they're experts. They're the sort of stuff. Oh, my gosh. I have a friend that I grew up with, and she is a librarian down at Congress. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to ask her to come be a guest. Thank you, thank you, thank you. People, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Oh, my gosh, she's going to be amazing. Okay, I'm going to get a hold of her. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm going to get a librarian on here. Who would thought that on the Marty Oakley TS radio show we would have a librarian? But we have a reason for it. So, yes, so it, it, all your tax records are, it, they are, like, you can find out. If you want to be nosy and find out what, how much money your next-door neighbor made, you can go do it. It's all, it's all there, and you can look up their businesses and see what they're charging. And if it's not matching up, you file that whistleblower IRS form, and you are protected so under whistleblower laws. And big thanks to Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit because whistleblowers are getting more and more protections. I mean, they are fighting, fighting, fighting for that. Okay, so we have about 10 minutes left. Some other things that you can file. Definitely you can file with the Federal Bureau of Investigations and with the Attorney General's Office. The Attorney General Office is going to be a state investigation, and the FBI could be a federal but you need a lot of people going in to file at the same time. With the Kids for Cash, which was out of Pennsylvania, they were going to the FBI for a lot of times, and everyone was getting ignored. But, see, the people that were getting ignored were building the foundation. So it was finally that, you know, it's like the needle that breaks the haystack. The final complaint comes in, and all of a sudden there's this aha moment, like, wait a minute, we've been getting a lot of complaints on this. This is actually something that we need to investigate, and that is what yep. also trigger a kids the kids for cash investigation. Diogenes, um, yep. do you have any information on filing FBI complaints on um, on these guardians? So again, uh, documentation is going to be super important. But just another thing to, to keep in mind, because I, I know some people who are I know some some uh, investigators. Um, I work in cybersecurity. I deal with law enforcement quite a bit. Uh, one person uh, complaining about something is just sour grapes. Um, when you have a lot of people complaining about the same thing, and it's and it, but they're different cases, but but involve a lot of the same actors. Now you have smoke, and where there's smoke, there's one of two things: fire or smoke machine. And either way, they want to find out which is which because someone's committing a crime at that point. Right, and it is everyone filing the complaints. And then let's talk a little bit, I mean, and there's so many more agencies, but let's talk a little bit about the checks and balances that go on. The whole government isn't corrupt. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm saying in the broad sense, like everyone's going to be like, okay, Cobbs, <laughs> didn't Marty teach you right? Anyway, the different agencies, they're all not working in cahoots for this great conspiracy. So let's say that you were the FBI agent or the IRS agent that took down kids for cash. That's one entity, and that is like an attaboy. That is promotion. You want to take them down. 
Another person that wants to take people down, these U.S. attorneys, if you can prosecute these big, big cases, you're going to turn around and get a million-dollar law firm job. So the checks and balances is everyone isn't going to – everyone is not out to protect this corrupt judge because if someone can take that corrupt judge down – It is a career advancement for them, and that is the beauty of the United States of America. Diogenes, could you maybe let us know how this all works? Yeah, so your U.S. attorneys, those are political appointees. Whenever the presidency changes party, all those U.S. attorneys get fired and replaced by the new president's people. So all those U.S. attorneys, they won't admit it, but they're all angling to get appointed to the federal bench. Because once you're a federal judge, that's a lifetime appointment. You can only get removed for misconduct or you quit. And, and that and mis, removed for misconduct, that means impeachment and conviction. It means you have, to, you, have to be, you have to convince a majority of the House of Representatives and three-quarters of the Senate that you, were, that you did bad things. So that's not just something, oh, we dislike your, your decision in the case. You've got to convince the people who agree with you that um, – you did bad things. So everyone's, everyone's trying to get on the federal bench because now you're set for life and a pretty cushy job where all you do is you listen so, to people complain anymore. So would you say you get on a federal bench by taking down, like let's say taking down a corrupt probate judge that has basically committed some felony murder? I mean, I yeah, mean that, would, you, that you, would be a big story. Yeah, if you go on and you show yourself as the people's champion, um, what senator is going to tank their career by voting against your nomination? Right. And so that's why even if the senator, let's just say, was on the take with the corrupt probate judge, what's that saying? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. They're going to vote for that person who just busted their corrupt judge because they want to cover their own butt. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, Winston Churchill, um, his line was that he he said he'd side with Satan if it meant beating Hitler. And then he sided with Stalin. Oh. It happened. Well, that's the show show for another topic. You know, we just have a few minutes left. But, you know, Diogenes, I know that you and Marty were talking about doing, you know, maybe a history show. And then we were laughing about the UFO show. And I feel like we just kind of wrapped one all in. Unfortunately, those shows never never panned out, you know, due to the passing of Marty. But hopefully someday we're going to be able to bring some of those on because they sure were fun to talk about and maybe bring those on to TS Radio. So um, you are just such your, – your knowledge of history is just mind-blowing. And we really, we really had a good show that we were thinking up, and hopefully, maybe just me and you can pull us off someday. We'll have to talk about it. But just uh, when we study history, because history always repeats itself, you can learn so much. Like just like let's just talk about a history show. What what do you feel about history? And also, in the end, the legacy of these corrupt people. In the end, does history reveal the world who they truly were and it might take a long time but what do you feel about history and their legacy well for example you have you have very popular politicians in their time 
Julius Caesar, for instance, um, he was the people's champion. And in his time, everyone loved him, except for the senators who eventually stabbed him um, famously. Uh, but you dig into it a little bit longer, and you realize he kind of really was a sleazebag. And, uh, I mean, he went and, and uh, started all this drama. He involved himself in Egypt. And, frankly, at the end of the day, he was actually breaking the law when he um, when he invaded Gaul to make himself rich in defiance of the Senate, which told him to disband his armies and come back to Rome. He was kind of a sleazebag. He did kind of subjugated and enslaved an entire people just to make himself look good. Yeah, and that's disgusting. That's why we were going to call it the hogs of history. Just basically, you know, wanting the glory for themselves and not caring about what happens to other people. And I do believe that these judges and are like hogs. They just want the glory for themselves. They want to, you know, drive their fancy cars, go on their vacations, live in, and have everyone call them your honor. But they're hogs. They don't actually care about the people that they're supposed to be giving justice to. And in the end... In the end, you have a quote that you once told me, and it's about the wheels of justice. Do you remember how that went? They turn very slowly, but grind exceedingly fine. So in the end, these corrupt judges and attorneys, in the, re- in the, the path of destruction that they are basically doing right now, in the end, they will pay for it, won't they? And we're not talking, and I mean, yes, we hear the afterlife stuff, and I always, I I get it, the afterlife thing, but I feel like that's like, um, that doesn't give me the satisfaction. I mean, yeah, 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 but I believe in this life. What do you think? To everyone out there, we just have a few minutes, to everyone out there who's hurting, who have been wronged by these evil, wicked judges and guardians and attorneys, what do you have to say to them to give them some encouragement? You're organizing. And, and like I was said at the beginning, institutions outsmart people. And, yeah, there's small little petty institutions here and there, little petty fiefdoms and little rural counties that get ignored by the media because they want to chase bigger fish. Um, together, you are all bigger than each of the individual little petty fiefdoms. And institutions beat people. Institutions beat geniuses. I love that. And that is just so inspiring, that there are power in number, that we all work together, and we keep exposing. We support each other in positivity. Also, I just got a very heartbreaking text. Angela, you are in my thoughts and prayers. I am so sorry what just happened. Um, She's just been... um, uh, she's listening right now, and Angela, I love you. I'm so sorry to hear about what just happened. Um, we, you know, gosh, we're we're in a hard we're in a hard world right now. And Angela, I'm 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 sitting here crying now because I can read my text messages as they come in. And Angela has been listening, and something really sad has just happened. And I'm so so sorry. Those of you, Angela was on the show. Um, a few weeks back and we just really talked about how staying strong through through 
a lot of crisis. And, Angela, you're going to dig in, and you're going to stay strong through one more. And you are such an inspiration to so many people. And I just want to let you know how much we love you. And I'm, I just saw your text. I'm so sorry. We have 90 seconds left. I just want everyone to know we got the Whistleblower Summit coming on tomorrow. It is an honor that I was able to help organize Marty's panel. I appreciate everyone who tunes in and who has supported me and have told me that Marty would be proud. It means the world to me. Diogenes, thank you so much. You are you are probably one of the most loved guys that's been on here in a long time. I hope that we can have you back again. You've just been such yep. a wealth of knowledge. And I hope that anyone, like, let everyone know to listen to this show. And um, we're out on the podcast, iTunes, Spotify. There was a lot of great information that we got on. We didn't even get through all the different avenues of where to complain and lodge our complaints. But, wow, we sure were off to a good start. Any parting last words before we hang up, Diogenes? Um, if you don't have a diary and you're in this kind of situation, start one. Thank you so much. Start a diary, keep a timeline so that when you are telling your story, you can stay focused and you can make sure that you don't go off on a tangent and sound crazy. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And And you aren't relying on your fallible human memory. If you wrote it down, that is an anchor for all time. And have a document to prove it. Thank you. Thank you. This was a great show. Thank you so much, Diogenes. Everyone, have Mm -hmm. a great night. Next week, we're going to have a classic that we play, and we'll be back in two weeks with a live guest. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Good night, everyone.